all this and maybe commentary by Reb Mimi Feigelson. So for those of you who have not had the honor and the pleasure of studying with Reb Mimi, she is an Orthodox woman uh, who spends most of her time in Israel uh, and has been given this kind of new, I don't know if you've heard about it, but this new degree, this new level of um, recognition. Thank you. Because it's not learning, that's for sure. Um, I mean, meaning women have had a lot of learning and never been giving rec- given rec- recognition. I didn't mean that. Um, but Reb Mimi is brilliant and amazing, and she's one of those women who are so brilliant and so compelling that it's really hard to say we won't call you rabbi. And so she is. Uh, she is Reb Mimi Feigelson, and she is an Orthodox rabbi. In the ways that they are now granting that title yeah. to women in the Orthodox world, there's a limited. Who is um, they? Uh, the Orthodox community are granting that title to women. Um, right now, it doesn't mean you know what we would assume it means in terms of breadth of um, of, of of ability to officiate. Uh-huh. You know, because they're still you know working within in the confines of halacha. But given that, it, it, she is, for me, a huge force in this Jewish world for pushing the discussion forward while being completely respectful of the folks who are setting those boundaries. And, and I find that remarkable, mostly because I don't know that I could do that. Um, you know, to, to, to be within a system that I graded against on so many levels and yet showed such gentle, amazing true respect for her. So I, so I, I really, really admire her. Um, so this is her commentary um, that we are looking at uh, on the doubting servants. So we are looking at one verse of Torah, as always, as our jumping off point, which you got to love. And this is going into my folder for this Parsha, because I'm like, the next time we're studying that Parsha, and I whip out, and there is a very large rabbinic discussion on <laughs> this very verse. <laughs> like, I'm going to have 20 minutes worth of stuff to say on this one verse, and I will look very smart. So, um, Job security. Right, right? Love that. Job security is a good thing. So, uh, so really, it's this one like verse, understanding it in the context of of course, what the roles and jobs and functions of these folk are. So you have to know that for this verse to make sense. But really, the the text for her and for our commentator is rooted. Uh, oh, she is the commentator, but in terms of the um, the Meashiloach, uh, who's writing this text, um, it's rooted in this one verse. So somebody read, uh, and God spoke to Moses. And God spoke to Moses, saying, "Take." Now, so, also the sum of the sons of Gershon. Okay, so we're in Parshat Naso, right? That, that's the Parsha we're beginning. And lots of us have lots of interpretations about that word, so we all think, okay, yay, we know this word. We know what to do with this Parsha. We know what's coming. And it's like, uh-uh. We're going to stay with this one verse, and we're going to not even focus on Naso so much. We're going to focus on also... <laughs> That's the word we're going to focus on. Also, right? This whole thing. Also, the sons of Gershon. So the first thing we're getting are um, indications that we've got something going on, and God spoke to Moshe saying, "Take also 
and accounting, right, essentially. Of the sons of Gershon. Is Naso part of Nase? It is not. I'll show you why. It's a good good question. Is Naso part of Nase? Here is Naso. Here's Nase. So you've got the the sin. And the Samech, and you've got this Aleph. So these, they sound alike, but it's like this in English, C-S-E-E and S-E-A, that they sound exactly the same, whatever that's called. Homonyms? Thank you. Homonyms. Homonyms. Like red and red. Not like hominid. Homonym. C and C, Naso and Naso. So at sometimes, Torah, to your point, Mark, sometimes Torah uses that very difference to make interesting alliteration and word plays, right? So, so it's not irrelevant. It just isn't equivalent. Yes? They're, they are often relevant because the Torah often plays on the way those sound the same. And, and, it, and it counts on the fact that you know they're not the same to make the point. Hmm. That's like something Will Shorts if he was writing the Torah. Will Shorts <laughs> totally would say these... <laughs> have lots to say to each other, right? right? Yeah. Doesn't mean they're the same. But yes, Will Shorts would say there's a lot going on with Nasso and Nase. Absolutely. So here, is, is this, God said to Moses, count how many sons Gershon has? So it seems that there's an accounting that's been done, and it says take also an accounting of the sum of the sons of Gershon. So part of the question becomes, why isn't it taking accounting of everybody? Yeah. Like, like right. inclusive. Uh, and like, why do you have to say inclusive of even? Like, right. But it says, and take also an accounting of the sons of Gershon. And so this is the jumping off point for uh, the commentary that says, okay, then this must, obviously, this is an engraved invitation, right, for the rabbis to understand what does God mean Right? There's right. Torah is true for all time, and it's not just the shot, God forbid, just the simple level. It's always meaning something else. So also the sum of the sons of Gershom. Then there's something about this sons of Gershom that means something special, something different. And we're going to get what that is. So who are the sons of Gershom, according to uh, our understanding of the book of Numbers? Somebody read. Before we get to who is Gershom? Yeah. Right. So, right. So, the major biblical figures. Right. So clearly, this is a name that doesn't jump out at us as like, oh, him. <laughs> right. Right. Not like, Abraham. Right. So and it's Moses. listed in the family tree uh-huh. of the uh, Levites. Right. So it, it's in that family of Aaron and Moses and um, what we know is that we get a description of what they do in reference to the Mishkan. How, so the, how do we know what they are, who they are, what goes on? From their roles as described in Numbers around this idea of the Mishkan. So somebody read and tell us who these folk are. Who are the sons of Gershon? And those that erected the place, the Mishkan, the Mishkan. were Gershon, Kehat, Merari, Moses, and Aaron and his sons. Gershon... 
Yes? Yes. Kehat? Kehat. And Marari. Okay. It's an interesting mm-hmm. punctuation. Moses and Aaron and his sons. Okay. So we're not going to add them because, like, they're, like, like yeah. newsflash from the Department of Duh. Like, you know them. <laughs> but well, why, they, why does it say Gershon, Kehat, and Marari, oh, I see. Moses and Aaron? So Kehat and Merari are Gershon, Kehat and Merari are together. Okay, so that's going to be important. That's question. Moshe okay. and Aaron and his sons. So Kehat and Merari together. They're because together. Moshe's sons, what happens for them in the going forth of these things? What happens? Moshe's sons do what? <laughs> the reason you don't know yeah, is because the answer is nothing. Yeah. They disappear. They disappear because they are his role, the role of the prophet, the role of the charismatic leader, according to the rabbis, cannot be handed down through a dynasty. The role of Aaron, the one who facilitates the regular functioning of the Mishkan, the regular uh, functioning of the rituals and the timing and how you should do it, and this is the incense and this is the exact measure, and when you slaughter a bull, you got to do this first, unless it's Yom Kippur, then you got to do this, right? All of that can be taught. So Aaron, his job gets passed through a dynasty because it's taught, it's learned from this high there's a lot to know and you can teach that you can't teach what moses brings to the people you can't teach what moses's role what his job is that is innate and so his sons completely are not there are these words we're reading now these are reb mimi's words no this is the meashiloach this is all the text from the meashiloach rabbi mordechai joseph Liner. So we don't really know where Moses' sons go. Do we know he has them? Yeah, we know he has them because we have this dramatic scene like on the way where Tzipora Uh circumcises one of them. Um, So um, they went to Florida. (laughs) 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 I'm not going to let my old man tell me what to do. of course, and by subsequent Jewish law, they were not Jewish. Because well, right, wife, subsequent Jewish law, 100%. No, sub- subsequent Jewish law. 100%. Different. different. Right, because the mother, Tzipora, was, was daughter of the Midian. high priest of Midian. Absolutely. Or maybe a high priestess herself. Perhaps a high priestess herself, Red because who else knows how to whip out a flint knife <laughs> and <laughs> whack off someone's foreskin <laughs> when a demon attacks? Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, like, a woman. Right? right? There you go. Oh my God. All right. So, so the sons of Kehat, somebody read? The sons of Kehat are the masters of the Torah, where they carried the ark. For they knew the law of the Torah in every situation they confronted. Okay, so the sons of Kehat, what we know from Torah, seriously, like looking at Torah, what we know, is that the sons of Kehat were the ones who carried, they were charged with carrying the Aaron. Mm-hmm. Right? They carried the Aaron on their shoulders. Um, later we're going to read through Reb Mimi. Um, no oxen involved. Right. They actually carried the whole business on their shoulders. Kehat right now we're getting just their job. Okay. Ju- their job 
is to carry the ark. So now the now we're getting to the metaphor, right? So the pshat, the simple level, is that they carry literally the ark. And what does the ark contain? The Ten Commandments, the tablets, right? Ultimately, it becomes a symbol for what? Huh? The words of God. The words of God. The teachings of God is what it contains. So they are the ones who carry that. So they're good people. So they're the masters of the Torah. So now extend that metaphorically. And what is what you know? What does the tradition say? Metaphorically, what does that stand for? Because we've got the level where it was shot simple truth, and then you've got. Deeply, what does that mean for us? They were the type that carries Torah. Mm-hmm. They're the type that are masters of Torah. Okay. So that's a good thing. That, 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 all of these are good things, by the yeah. way. They're all good, good things. things. So like, like, unlike the they know the law of Torah in every situation they confront. Right? Every situation that comes up, boom. This is what Torah law says. This is what the rabbis have argued. This is what halacha says. This is kosher. This is treif. This is permitted. This is not permitted. This is Shabbistic. This is not Shabbistic, right? You know, it's very clear. They are the masters of knowing what is okay, what is not okay. Okay, somebody go on. The sons of Gershon are the masters of trepidation, for they oh. carried the fabrics that covered the Mishkan like the sky and the hooks that appeared in the Mishkan like the, like stars. And this alludes to trepidation. Go on. Uh, the sons of Merari... Oh, wait, sorry, stop, stop, stop. You're right, stop. Okay. So the sons of Gershon are the masters of trepidation. Not good. For they carried the fabric that covered the Mishkan. So what covers us? You know, what covers the earth? The sky, the firmament, right? And mm-hmm. what's in the firmament? When you look up from inside the firmament, what do you look up and see? The stars, which is all the little hooks that hold the canopy, right? That holds everything onto the poles, right? There's all these little hooks. So the stars and the firmament, what do they lead us to? Awe and a bit of fear, right? The, the vastness, I man, I don't know about y'all, but when I contemplate billions, of galaxies yeah. past this one, I am sorry, right? But I am. It's that that's is a lot, of the and that's just our <laughs> corner of the universe. That that's a lot, right? So we go into this place of appropriate awe, appropriate smallness, and a sense of our own trepidation at how incredibly vast the universe is. Okay, go on. Of Merari are the masters of commandments, mitzvot, and good deeds, for they carried the planks of the Mishkan, which allude to practical mitzvot that every Israelite has under, has an understanding of. And though they lead, and though they, and though they all had these good qualities, each one of them stood out in one quality more than his fellow. Okay, excellent. So, what's the last one? The last one is Merari, the masters of mitzvot and good deeds, for they carried the planks. So wait a minute. So the kehan are the masters oh, of Oh, good. Torah. Thank you. Yeah, take okay. me back. Good. Yeah. All right. So kehan carried the Torah. The masters of Torah, and then the other ones are the master of mitzvot or whatever. Shepidation. And the Gershon's are the, the bad guys. No, nobody's bad. Everybody's good. There's no bad guys. Everybody's good. Everybody's good. So, Kehat carry Torah. The fabric. Gershon is fabric. Which means 
trepidation, right? The, the awareness of how big the sky is, how little we are, how much can happen to a little person in the big, vast, scary universe. Marari? The planks. The planks. And what are planks? They're the mitzvah. They're the doing this. They are the bread and butter, right? They are the hammer and nail. They are the tachlis, get down to business, mitzvot. This is what you eat. This is what you don't. This is what you can do on Shabbat. This is what you cannot. And then when we live within that, the planks are firm. It defends us against everything. And we are safe. We are safe within the planks, within a structure, right? We are really tiny <laughs> and very vulnerable under the sky. sky and the stars, and we are safe when we are in the fortified planked structure of the Mishkan itself. And then we have Kehat, which carries Torah. Wow. So we're going to see where... That goes, yes? All right, so someone else started at the reason for also? The reason for also regarding the sons of Gershon, which is different from the sons of Kahat, is because Neso alludes to outstandingness. In Hebrew, the root NSA can mean to count, lift up, or elevate. The sons of Kahat reached a sense of pride, for they put themselves in doubtful and trying situations. As it says, and to the sons of Kahat, he did not give, for they carry their holy service on their shoulders, meaning they experienced endurance by virtue of putting themselves in doubtful situations. But the sons of Gershon, their lot was to be in a state of trepidation in the presence of God and to distance themselves from God, from doubt. Any place where they encountered something that was not clear, they would, they would withhold from action. They always walked in assurance. Therefore, it says, also. God testifies that they also have endurance by virtue of removing themselves from doubt, and they, too, render outstanding. All right. So trepidation keeps one from wanting to be in any situation where doubt will rise up to maybe be the dominant force. Why? If one is in a state of trepidation... Doubt is like risk. One doesn't need doubt. Then what doubt is what? Like risk. Doubt is like risk. And for somebody who's in a place of trepidation, what is risk? It, make, it means you're, it confirms that you're vulnerable. Vulnerability. Yeah. It's like pouring gas on the fire. Threat. Yeah, if you're already scared. If there's something you're scared of, it's going to... Like... Like he said, pour gas. Like Bert said, pour gas on it. It's going to make it bigger, all-consuming, terrifying threatening existentially to me. I might not exist, right? There's some way it's really terrifying if you're in trepidation. You don't want to deal with doubt. Okay? So that's why it says also, right, Gershon. That makes no sense to me. <laughs> I understand they say that therefore. Don't understand they, say, they say therefore, and it's like, how does that fall? Right. <laughs> right. They're mathematicians. <laughs> As can be seen. Right. Um, so I, th I think, and I'm not clear because I also don't quite get it. Um, I think what it's saying is 
that this also can be a legitimate way of walking in the world. This also can be a really good way of trying to live into the divine will for you. It's not the preferred way. Mm. Right? So what is the preferred way? We're going to get there, but I believe it's Kehat. So, but also means, you know, it's maybe not your way. Bert, what we were talking about earlier. (laughs) It's not maybe your way, but some people are way more comfortable serving in the military, serving, right, in wherever it's really structured and really clear so that they know always that they are doing the right thing and they are told what the guidelines are and so they know clearly what the criteria are all the time for deciding what's right and what's wrong and that's really also if the guidelines are good ones and healthy ones that's great people who are on Weight Watchers right they watch their food like oh my god like I cannot believe the discipline it takes right but they know in every moment is this an okay choice or a not okay choice. Well, that depends on how many points I already used up today. Like, it's always clear what the right or wrong decision is based on the criteria. So it's like how observant you want to be. If you're really observant, all the decisions are made because all the rules are laid out. Correct. And what I love about this teaching, coming from the Hasidic master, is that he's saying observance that way if you want to be truly truly that machmir and that observant also that's also okay also yes that's also okay that is a which is what I love about this it's one word in Torah one word and yes like if you unpack where he's going it's loaded yeah that too is okay to be completely machmir about it, that's okay too. But it's okay because the ultimate, what goes below all of this is serving God. Yes. That, that, that's, that's why it's also, these are, different, these are different ways of serving God. Yes. Not one but it serving seems God like, and the other isn't. But it's, right, that's right. They're all good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, yes. They're just different ways to climb the And that's also okay. So yeah. we might say, as we said, reference earlier, right. that minion is also okay, but it's not right. It's not <laughs> yeah. what's preferred. It could be also okay, but not in my house. But not in my house. <laughs> but, but, like, Bert, if you want to ex- extrapolate, also is the one, maybe the one word that keeps us from being a dogmatic religion. Mm-hmm. Because, it, you yeah. know, like when I look at other religions, they all have dogma, and we don't. Mm-hmm. And we don't because... It was you could be follow the sons of Gershon or of Kehad or Mirai. The sons of Gershon, that's also okay. Yeah, and so there's this wonderful uh, comment in Hebrew. If you ask a question in a you know setting of religious you know or any kind of text study, you know, and you say, so is it this or is it that? And the answer oftentimes from the you know teacher is gum for gum. Also and also, <laughs> right? Also that and also that, right? It's, it's not so. It usually it's not. I mean, unless you're looking at what's permitted or not permitted, right. which is another conversation. But so, are you saying that our approach to Judaism should be, or godliness is mostly blah blah, or mostly blah blah blah? Gam vagam. 
right? Like, usually it's both and. It's, it's and also. Also. All right, so let's look, go on. Regarding the sons of? Regarding the sons of Gehat and Merari, it says, by the hand of Moses. But in regard to the sons of Gershon, it does not say by the hand of Moses. For Moses alludes to clear wisdom and intention for the sake of heaven. The integrity and strength of the sons of Kahat was drawn from their good intentions. The integrity and strength of the sons of Merari was drawn from the clarity of their actions to all that observed them. But there's a lack of clarity regarding the sons of Gershon. Their lot was that of trepidation, and they always removed themselves from doubtful situations. But perhaps they're holding back in a place where God has actually commanded action. It is for this that at the conclusion it is said in regard to all of them in the hand of Moses that they are all refined according to God's will. All right, hang with me. It was hard for me too. It was very hard for me too. It's taken me a while to unpack it too. So regarding the sons of Kehat and Merari, it is written by the hand of Moshe. So we're not going to get into complicated things about where and why and whatever. He's, he's citing that. But in regards to the sons of Gershon, it does not say by the hand of Moshe. Aren't Why these, might that be? Aren't these all sons of Gershon? No. No, no, no. 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 Sons, no. Of, three sons of Gershon, Kehad, and Merari. So what we've, got, what, we've, what we've got described in Numbers is three clans. I see. And these three clans are responsible for different um, aspects of attending to the breaking down and setting up of the Mishkan. And they're all Levites. They're all Levites. Because only Levites are allowed to be involved in this business, and only these Levites are allowed to be involved in this business. So, in regard to the sons of Gershon, it does not say, by the hand of Moses, of Moshe. What does that mean? Moshe alludes to clear wisdom and intention for the sake of heaven. So that means these two get said of them, right? something which alludes to clear wisdom and intention for the sake of heaven. The integrity and strength of the sons of Kehat was drawn from, they carry Torah, they have right intention within them. Yes? She's going to unpack that more, of course. Um, The integrity and strength of the sons of Merari was drawn from the clarity of their actions to all that observe them. They put up the planks in the right order. And they stood, and they did not topple over. Everyone could see that. If the Mishkan was standing, it meant Marari had done their job. Right? So it was very clear. There's no ambiguity, right, about Marari. But there is a lack of clarity regarding the sons of Gershon. Their lot was that of trepidation. And they always removed themselves from doubtful situations. So they're so ruled by anxiety that they're like, okay, I'm not going to go anywhere near doubt because then I might not know what to do. It's more fear. Why was this Moshe business not said about them? The hint here is because if you're only ruled by anxiety and avoidance of any possible wrongdoing, maybe you're holding back in a place where God has actually commanded action. So you have to take action sometimes. 
to, re- to l- rule your whole life by refraining from so that you don't misstep. If that's the only governing principle or even the main governing principle, it can lead to not acting in the world when we're called to act. We don't have Jewish monasteries. The Gersh, according to this interpretation, Gershon might be happy in a monastery. Right? Because therefore, we won't misstep, God forbid. We won't transgress, chas v'shalom. We'll just stay protected from any kind of possibility of wrongdoing. What do you think is meant by lack of clarity? So, I get to Yad, Yad Moshe. I assume that's the Hebrew. Uh, by yes. Hand, by, the hand of, yes. by the hand of Moses. Yes. Right? When we talk about Torah, we say that Torah came from the lips of God written down Yad Moshe. It's part of our liturgy. Right. And so, to me, the way I read this is that when it says the hand of Moses, that is a reference to this is something that is found in Torah whether it be mitzvot or whether it be, which is the kehada marari. Right. They get their authority and they, their, they get their guidance by following what it says in Torah, what Moses wrote down. And in that but sense... But doesn't. But in, in that sense, all of them are biad Moshe. Ultimately, all of them are in Torah. All of them are represented and all of them are biad Moshe. But Gershon seems to either not understand that or not listen to it or not follow it. And so it has doubt, at least to me, because it doesn't know what to do. But nonetheless, what I love about uh, that is like, as much as it's saying, it kind of hints that it's a little bit less than, um, it's still ultimately Biad Moshe okay. all of them, right? That even the Gershon in us which is where Reb Mimi's going to go, where it's, I think is where she's saying he, they, that, that he's going, is uh, that too is ultimately Biad Moshe. All right. So, so, I, so we yes. So one of them has commitment to Torah, one to Mitzvot, like we established. And then the other one is just the trepidation is because they're always through anxiety, trying to do the right thing rather than knowing and feeling and they're in fear, right? It's the no risk, no reward. So if you live right. where you won't take the risk and you won't move forward, then you won't know God and you won't... You have to have that wrestling. Like so then risk Definitely. becomes Doesn't part that... of following the law. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's where she's going to go. But now when it says here, um, it is said in regard to all of them, does it mean all of them, meaning all of the sons of Gershon or all of them, Kahat Marari and Gershon? I, I think all of them, Gershon, Kahat Marari. Okay. Yeah. But do they represent the people that have the resistance to believe in God? I mean, more so than the others? I mean, is that okay. possibly the what they're representing at all? No. I think that's so, very So... So I, I think where we get where we get stuck is translating it into our paradigm. Right. We're talking about belief, not belief, and I'm not saying that's not a relevant question. But we're going to add that to the very end of tonight, if that's okay. Yeah. To what does that mean for us in terms of belief, non-belief? For for this discussion, it's not. It's about 
how we respond to our belief that there is a God, there is a creator, there, whatever that means, um, and there is a way to be in the world that's right and just and true and compassionate and blah, 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 and we have a God who has revealed something about what that means, and we have a part of God within us that can tell us what that is. So what is our response to that? There's a way to be in the world that's right, and there's a way that's wrong. There's a way that's productive and wonderful and contributive in a way that's sinful and selfish and arrogant and hurtful. So how do I know in any moment, how do I position myself in my life to most likely live into what is expected of me? And these are three answers to that question, how do I position myself if I believe, and so it's, it's based on I believe, mm-hmm. I know there is right and wrong, good and bad, sinful, righteous. How do I walk through the world in such a way that I'm most comfortable being somebody who wants to do what's right? So that's three elements of a human being. You, that's, so th- <laughs> so that's said, one of our questions at the end. And you included, you, you said, what is expected of me? Yeah. Which gets to a whole other level of belief that something is expected. So the reason because I go could, there, there be good and bad is and because she uses, Reb Mimi uses, which so I love, uh-huh. Ratzon Hashem, God's will. Mm-hmm. Right? I so often resist that phrase, because it always means to me, it's God's will. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you may not want this, but God does. Right? I hate that. I hate that. Your child died of cancer. Your eight-year-old died of cancer. It was God's will. It, you know, it's Ratzon Hashem. And, like, that drives me absolutely to distraction, as you can imagine. That is, it's never God's will that an eight-year-old, God forbid, die of cancer. Chas v'shalom. It's the way the world is put together that an eight-year-old gets sick. That's who we are, whatever. So I won't stay there because what I want to go to is this amazing reworking of Ratzon Hashem that I found, don't tell anybody, really compelling. (laughs) I know, uh uh-oh. I found this really compelling. Like, because what if Ratzon Hashem means the will of the good and the right and the compassionate and the just in this moment? What if that's what Ratzon Hashem means? So in this moment, someone asks me something. What if it means, Amy, what would the just, right, compassionate, empathetic, respectful response be? I, I could totally get with Ratzon Hashem. Many, many Christians have this thing. They say, what would Jesus do? Right. And I think right. what you're saying is we constantly face the question, what would God do? Were God what would God, what would God want well, to do? Well, there's two pieces to that because we're supposed to imitate God and, God and the attributes of God are ones that... How so, God acts in the world. Right. So, so there's um, two people. What would God do? Well, or want to be a restrictiveness. What is godly in this situation? Well, right. What would godliness do? Be. Let's see how she unpacks this. What, okay, so we're going to do that. But So I just want to tell you that what would Jesus do... Um, in Duluth, a bunch of my students were really upset that people were used when the bracelets got really popular. Mm-hmm. And one of my students said, I don't know what upsets you all so much because WWJD stands for Worldwide Jewish Domination. <laughs> <laughs> now, I find it really interesting that we have a 
woman Orthodox rabbi, her commentary, who teaches at a conservative rabbinic seminary. school, seminary, being embraced by a Reconstructionist rabbi. <laughs> there you go. Talk we got it all. Ecumenical. There you go. Talk all right. about ecumenical. So, uh-huh. A really quick thing. Yes? Um, it seems like, especially since this comes after the sons of Aaron, that there's a, a caution in the Torah against extreme religious fervor. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Like the same um, occurrence. I mean, not that the sons of Gershon also go up in flame, but that that again we're being cautioned about the risks of religious fervor. No. Here's what's amazing and revolutionary about the Ishbitzer's teaching. He's saying. Also, oh, reservation is okay. 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 Right? So, that's, it's okay. so that's what Reb Mimi is saying is so revolutionary. He's saying also caution as a way of approaching life is okay. And really, ultimately, the planks is okay. But what's ultimately the best sweet spot to be is where it's so internalized that you don't worry about getting carried away, right, by by being swept up in religious fervor. Because you can meet religious passion with temperance, right? Because, in other words, you... So so stay with me on that, because that's where she's going to, I think, ultimately go. All right, so, Mark, you requested it, so you go. So... Go to page 54, bottom paragraph. Uh, The time has now come to meet the three primary representatives of our teaching, the three sons of Levi, Gershon, Kahat, and Merari. Each one of them manifests a different way to serve God. These three individuals, as read read by the Ishbitzer Rebbe, are manifestations of different elements of a human being. They are external representations of different aspects of our being. The three sons of Levi were responsible, the Torah teaches us, for the transporting of the Mishkan from place to place as the Israelites wandered through the desert. Yishpitzer sees a direct correlation between the part of the Mishkan that they were carrying and the manner in which they carried a relationship to Torah and Mitzvot. He is asking us to he is asking us to ask ourselves questions about why we carry ourselves... The way we carry ourselves. The way ourselves. we carry ourselves in our relationship with God. How do we walk with God in God's world? How do we wander through the desert of life? Though the Ishpasur offers equal representation to all three brothers, it is clear that there is one that he favors and one that he sees as more challenging. All right, so the way that they carry the Mishkan, the way that they actually act out their roles, their jobs and carrying the Mishkan are the ways that they deal with life, right? All of us, right? The the ways we actually act in everyday life, the ways we carry our bodies, right? You see people who are like this, right? Who are always taking up as little space as possible or kind of crunched over, right? You see people who are big and take up a lot, right? The the ways we actually walk physically through the world and and in this case, you have the jobs that they are are described as being given, are something reflective of their relationship to Torah and mitzvot. So so first we get Kehat, the master of Torah, the son who can be seen as a true Ish Bitzer Chassid. 
His sons are the ones who carry the ark containing the Torah on their shoulders without the help of oxen. Kehat symbolizes those who have learned and refined themselves to the point that they do not need mediators in the attempt to understand God's will in different situations. They are the ones who have mastered the Torah in such a way that regardless of the situation in which they find themselves, they will always have a rabbinic, meaning godly, and approved solution. No matter what the situation appears to be, they will always be able to, to decipher God's will in that moment. They derive their strength from being able to function in the realm of doubt, of safek. They are strengthened by walking in uncharted territories. They proceed with assurance that they will always be able to claim Ratzon Hashem, God's will. So, you know, the... Uh it seems to me that the Kahat people are sort of in a Zen state of total harmony on a mystical level. That's why they're the Hasids of the Ishmael. The second group knows the Din, the law. The Marari? Right. And they just can use the law to figure out an answer in any situation, much like the lawyer, which I plead guilty. <laughs> <laughs> And the third one is kind of lost and afraid to encounter life. Doesn't For fear. Life. A fear of encountering life. Can't rely on the Zen spiritual state or the rigid legal state. Right. And right. therefore wander somewhere in doubt and therefore pulls back. A state of spiritual anxiety, right, is what... Is right. what she says. They will never venture into the world for fear of what they will find, right? For fear of not knowing what to do. Ironically, in their attempt to steer away from doubt, they are plagued with doubt. They question whether they are holding back in a place where God is really asking them to take action, to lean in. Yes? All right, so... Um, she goes on to talk movingly, by the way, about you know living in Israel, like for most of her um, time. But she is making a light thing here also, which is that anyone in Israel who's taken seriously at all about being on a spiritual quest has to go to India, <laughs> <laughs> or Turkey, but you know whatever. So you have to go to some place like that in Israel if you're being taken seriously as somebody who's really. Tasting, you know, the waters of, you know, of spirituality and really, like, really, 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 really. So, so she says, if she's going to put this in the terms of who, who travels and how, right? Um, the Kahat the travelers. There you go. Read it, Su Susan. The Kahat travelers are the travelers who go off by themselves. 56. Carrying with them a sack of assurance that no matter where they are, they will be right. They will know what kind of questions to ask regarding food preparation in the vegetarian restaurants so they will have no problem regarding eating kosher food. They know to identify what they regard as idol worship in a way that will enable them to avoid certain places. They will know how to manage on Shabbat. The Marari travelers say, it cannot be that God created a beautiful and fascinating place <laughs> like India that I should not see it. 
but I will go on an organized coaching trip. <laughs> I'll go with KID. <laughs> hey, hey. This way, organizers will take care of kosher food, we will not go to any questionable locations, and we will stop at the right time in the right location for Shabbat. And our Gershonites will clearly stay at home, <laughs> since they know that once you are on the road, there are no promises as to what you will find and what kind of compromise may be asked. All right. Yeah, so, please. As you say, like in the like the Zen, is it that they were able to get out of the way so that they're always in tune with God's wills because they've been able in a Zen way, you know, as they get out of the way and the will will come through you, or is it that they know Torah so well? They, they know they know and have internalized so they like Torah it. so well okay. that they're living it. So it isn't a question of would Torah say this is right or wrong. Right. It's that they've internalized. My interpretation of what she's saying that he's saying is that they've internalized it so much they're in tune. that right. they're in tune. And then when that situation arises, they can respond from a place of, huh? Well, on the one hand. You know, this is probably not kosher, but on the other hand, it's a vegetarian restaurant, so probably they don't use a lot of animal products. Let me ask Mm -hmm. exactly what's used in the kitchen, and then I'll know. Should I eat or not eat? Like, that they... They're not reacting from the outside. They are taking from the outside, filtering it through the Torah they've internalized to come out with a decision that is Ratzon Hashem in Mimi Feichelson's language. You know, that is the will of God in this moment, in this situation. That may not be Ratzon Hashem next week on a different trip in a different restaurant. But the, right. yeah? There's also a difference. They're making the decision themselves. The, uh, the second group is depending on the tour leader to make the decision. <laughs> the planks. And, and the, the Gershonites are avoiding the decision entirely by staying <laughs> right. home. Right. But, but, is it, but part of it, it, it's not that they're giving themselves up, but that they're the ones who actually are engaged and are using their minds mm-hmm. in for themselves figuring this Because there's an element, I believe, now that you say that, there's, there's an element of trust that they have. In themselves. In themselves, that they will be able to discern Ratzon Hashem, the will of God. Kahat. That you know what Bert is saying is this group avoids the the decision at all. This group says, "Let the tour guide vet it for me," and they take the ultimate hit. They take the ultimate sin, which, by the way, is Jewish law. Jewish law is that if you trust somebody to make that halakhic decision for you, and they mislead you, you don't get the sin. They do. So, so they're, they're clean. They're totally clean in making the decision to let the Jewish kosher tour guide make the choice. That's completely a halakhically legitimate option. Kehat's approaches, I know halakha enough to trust that wherever I go, I will be able to, to, to engage with it and figure out what is the right thing to do. Mark? You know, I, I actually it's just slightly different way. I see these kahat people. These kahat people. <laughs> it's on group one, you know. Group one. one. <laughs> the kahats. The A team. Yeah. <laughs> They'll never be the same again. K.I. Oh. I see these people kahat is relating to the world 
through their soul, through not through their mind, not through a rational process, but somehow they're able to integrate the spiritual path and that they can live it, using your word, in trust and confidence and strength and mm-hmm. courage. As opposed to the myriad the two people which are get there intellectually. They they made an intellectual decision that the tour guide run the show. Right. And the third people don't. So anyway, that's just sort of it also, the, the, the word came to me is integrity. Um, like, you know, how I asked before, what does it mean by lack of clarity? Gershon had lack of clarity. The opposite is that the cot have integrity in the sense that um, they know what they, their beliefs are already now so intrinsic to them that then they have the ability to have their actions follow from their beliefs, that they will act in a way, uh, in, with integrity, because their own sense of—I mean, you can—is if you take out of the Torah realm, what does the Torah say I should do? Should I, you know, is it kosher? Is it not kosher? You could say, okay, um, just as a matter of my personal values. My personal values say, I, you know, just taking food. I only want to eat food if I know that it has been ethically raised. Okay, so that's my value. So now, if I go to a market. I will gather the information, and I know that because my beliefs and my values, I hold them so strongly that I know I'll be able to make the right choice, and I will act with integrity, and I will always make my actions consistent with my values. So I think that as opposed to the lack of clarity is that there's this inconsistency, and you never know if what they're going to do is going to be consistent with what they think they should be doing. And I look at that, it's like, where am I in Right. You know, so, like, so I, we're gonna go there now. Yeah. So my, my, but, but what I love that I wrote down the big letter, the big thing that I wrote down on a sticky that I put like outside of this whole study, mm-hmm. outside of this folder, was what she said: um, the consistency mm-hmm. of flexibility. Mm-hmm. Whoa, that's yeah. heavy duty. That's <laughs> heavy duty. Right. That I loved because it's getting at I can be an in integrity. In lots of different ways, right. given the situation, the, the, the consistency right. is a flexibility. I know who I am, I know what I believe, and therefore I will be able to consistently act in accordance with my beliefs. Exactly. So you take an infant, someone hands you an infant, I know my primary objective, right? My belief is that I'm going to do what this child needs. What is the rest of it? Bent knees, <laughs> right? And being ready to go. Who goes? Who the hell knows? Right? Exactly right. That you just you're ready to go wherever it calls you right now to be the truth. Right now it might be to pat them is the truth of what is absolutely fundamentally the right thing to do. Another time it might be to like let them go and like. But it's all coming intuitively. Natural. Well, I wouldn't. I, yes and no. What you yeah. just described. Intu- yes, and you have to know enough to allow your intuition mm-hmm. to be informed by what you know about nutrition, what you know about different kinds right. of children, what you know about babies and what they need. That there is a level of intuition, and there's a level of we need to know Torah. Right. Right. We, we have to have ter- internalize Torah. Wisdom, knowledge, the principles, principles. or whatever, enough to then bring our intuition to bear on, so what does that mean right now? Yeah. 
what does a baby needs nutrition mean right now? Mm-hmm. Right? Is it solid food? Is it rice and breast milk? Is it like... Uh, you're like, I don't know. I also think it's, it's constant learning as well because I have three kids and I tell you, the first two were okay, the third was like, oh my God, I'm learning again. <laughs> Where is this kid come from? <laughs> right? Because it so didn't I, work. I had to go back internally. Whatever worked with the other two didn't work exactly. with this one. Wait, so which means, can a Marari be, be a, um, could they, like... All right, so here we go. We're going, Maria. Finally, I'm not going to put you off anymore. 56. I got to know. Second to last paragraph. Alongside the theological and religious realm, there are many ways to apply the Ishbitzer's paradigm and adapt it to our lives. One may ask whether this is a matter of temperament. Are we born as one or the other? Or perhaps is it evolutionary? In our spiritual journey, Do we evolve from one identity to the next? Do we start out as Gershon and work our way through Merari until we reach the promised peak of Kehat? Do we vacillate in different chapters of our life between these different modes of being? So now there's your question. That's my answer. (laughs) What's your answer? No, no, I'll say that is the question. Well, yes and no. Also and also. Right? So do we do we evolve from kind of this place of nervousness and trepidation about, oh my gosh, I'm going to screw up to this place of, okay, now I know. Now I know the rules. Now I know how to do this so I can do this. And then you get to a place where you learn to kind of, you know, be a, a bit more flexible. Is that an evolution? For some people. Or this could be. For some people, you stay. If for some people... You know, your personality, I, I believe, is what it is. Um, and I believe for some people you want to evolve through different stages till you get there. For some people, this is the way I am, it's unevolved, that's the way it is, and they don't care to move through the other stages. So you believe it's an evolution, but there is a, I believe an, evolutionary an evolutionary thing and Kahat's kind of at the top? If you're a personality that is on the evolvement class. But okay. I, I think you can also start out as the Kehat traveler who goes off by himself carrying the sack of assurance and find yourself later in life at a point of trepidation. Absolutely. So I, it's, think, so. I think all three of these are dimensional journey. So you think we cycle through different times where we're in different ones of these? Yeah. Or I would, different I would, aspects of our life. In different aspects of our life? I think it's a proportion. Yeah. I it's think a proportion. That all three, I think... To all me, three, all yeah. three of these things exist within us. And perhaps yes. at different times of our lives, perhaps at different times of the day, perhaps at different times of the week, yeah. these exist mm-hmm. in different... And that's what I read out of it, that these are three different aspects. I don't think it's an either-or, that we okay. are all in place one or all in place two or all in place three. So, I think it's an also, I think some people go, depending on the situation. You can be more or Some but, people are just this way and that's what it is and they have trepidation their whole life and they're never going to change in any situation. Mm-hmm. Some people will go through maybe a little more trepidation than this, that, and I'm more knowing in this, I'm in tune with God's will here, I've got my order there. No, I, I find think, there sit- I think some will flex and okay. some it's partially also, situation. Also. Susan? Well, I was just thinking like just today. So, you know, I set off to come here because I heard about it last night. I thought it yeah. was great. I'm good decision. Very much in right. it. 
you know, Kishaha. <laughs> you were not thing. And then I hit Topanga and PCH, and the sun was on the water, and the pelicans were hunting. <laughs> and if that isn't a moment of complete trepidation and total awe of, of, of God, I mean, I was just, I, I don't know how many lights I sat through. I mean, I could not move. It was just so truly awesome in the sense of the immensity of the universe and God's will. And, you know, so sometimes it can be, you know, a roller coaster. But it also sounds like it lends itself to growth. Like with the Roshan, that's, they grow. I mean, life is about growing. So if you start out as a kahat or whatever, it's, you're there. Mm -hmm. So it just seems like it's part of the circle and, of life. And there's sort of an arrogance to the kahat, whereas... Um, if you have this awe and this trepidation, you recognize that you may not know. <laughs> and that could I'm be a bad thing. Or it could it. be an opening. You have to live. With all three of these states. <laughs> and it's a nonlinear journey. I mean, yeah. For example, this would not have happened if you weren't here. And wherever you're going to take us over the years ahead will be part of evolving through an existential journey of spirituality. I mean, to me, I'm here for one reason only, and that's the spiritual journey. Yes. And and that's the framework in which I kind of see it. She sort of talks about it in the next paragraph, too. Go read it for us, please. <laughs> you quote it, you read it. <laughs> as long as I don't have to read what she wrote. Uh, I believe that there is one place where these three types truly do meet. They meet in the realm of doubt. They all carry a sense of existential doubt regarding the manner with which they walk in God's world and serve their creator. Throughout this writing, the Ishbitzer Rebbe warns us not to put ourselves from the outset in questionable situations. The Gahat state is something that falls upon us, not something to be sought out. It tells us that there too danger is lurking. It is possible that Gahat will not know what to do. It is possible that Kahat will actually fall all by unwillingly into the pit of transgression. That is his doubt. The doubt of his brothers we have already seen. Right? Angst and self-doubt are fueled by virtue of living a life that knows no struggle in questioning. Mariah asks, what is the value of such a life? What will happen when I am confronted with a Kahat moment? Will I know what to do? If my life is so obvious and explainable to anyone who observes it, where is my uniqueness and individual voice? The Ibitzer voices Gershon's doubt. I am holding back in situations in which God truly wants me to participate. One can imagine Gershon plagued by Rob's statement, Jerusalem Talmud, the last lines of Tractate Kedushim, one will be accountable in the future for all that their eye has seen and they did not eat from in his comment on a verse from Leviticus, if you follow my laws and faithfully observe my commandments, the Ishbitzer leaves us with no doubt as to the essence of doubt in a created world. If there is something that we share with our maker, it is that we both dance with doubt. Mm -hmm. From our perspective, the Ishbitzer tells us that even if a person was to observe all of the Shulchan the 16th century code of Jewish law, they still would not know if they aligned themselves with the depth Omek of God's will. This is the human if. From God's perspective, God sits in prayer praying that we understand the depths of God's will. God too, in God's encounter with human beings, 
sits in doubt as to the nature of the encounter. God asks, will I be seen? Will I be understood? Mm -hmm. It is the music of the doubt that God and humans bring dance together. Wow. Rabbi Mordecai Joseph leaves us with more questions Sorry. than answers. <laughs> that was for you. <laughs> How does such a perspective influence our theology? How does it alter our religious path? What does it mean to never truly know in regards to the one who cannot be known? How do we participate in the community even as we embrace a life of doubt? So this amazingly beautiful image for me that she evokes of God praying every day. Will they see me? Will they understand? Will they know how much I want for them? I mean, those are my words. But like that, that God prays too. Will, will they, God has doubt. <laughs> right? God has doubt. Will they get it? Will they know me? Yeah. Will they know yeah. what I want for them? Will they? And that that is something we share. Maybe the only thing we truly share with God is doubt. It's a fake. And that I think what she's pointing to the Ishbitzer as saying is, let us not see that as a threat. Let us see doubt as something we share with the divine and something that can lead us. I mean, I think what she says, what does it mean for our theology? I have one you know, set of answers that are all about, wow, could doubt lead us into interesting new places and interesting new alliances and interesting new crossings of you know, who and what we thought we were and, and, and yet exploring, okay, how do we redefine who we are? There's just so many ways, I think, welcoming, not welcoming maybe, but opening, opening to the reality of safek, of doubt as legitimately part of the, of the journey towards more and deeper understanding of Ratzon Hashem is, is a really radical statement by the Ishbitzer of let's not get too caught up in the planks and let's not wall ourselves off in a compound um, where we shut out what could be one of the most growthful elements of our own people's spirituality. He also says, as the kahat, don't deceive yourself that you, you got it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Say and don't again. think. Don't deceive yourself that you know that all. you got You know, yes. that you're kahat, you know. Yeah. And don't approach doubt with such arrogance of knowing you're going to be right that you're not fully cognizant of the fact that you might think you're doing Ratzon Hashem in that moment and fall into something else. And you're wrong. And, and I believe that takes an even greater strength of trust and faith and conviction in some ways to know... I'm going to miss it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to fail this week as I become senior rabbi. It's a really important teaching, right? That I know I'm going to think I'm doing the right thing and I'm going to fail and I'm going to do the wrong thing and I'm going to hurt people. I'm going to hurt, you know, what I'm trying to build. I'm going to undercut it. And kehat requires a certain level of trust that even so we are called forward. We are called into action if we're going to live okay. into Ratzon Hashem and a little Safek is not such a bad thing. Well, all three of them on Yom Kippur say we did this wrong and we did that wrong and we missed the mark. 
everybody misses the mark. Like we do every year in Yom Kippur. Yeah. yeah. The other like thing that's really Lord. radical about this is if God doubts, then God is not all powerful. Well, it's godly to doubt. I mean, certainly, certainly the idea that we have free will also that's implies it. that God is not all powerful. 100%. And we still so much have that idea that when you say God, God equals all-powerful, which gets to the issue of why the eight-year-old kids die but of cancer. But the, the, I forget which psalm it is, but there's one psalm where God is talking about the Israelites who are doing the wrong thing, and, and God, quotes God as saying, if only they would listen to me. <laughs> but it's it's like with our kids. If only they would listen to me. I would feed them with weed. Everything would be wonderful. I, but they won't listen to me. And the implication, you know, clearly, I mean, if God were all-powerful, how could doubt? What would doubt be? God would just go and do whatever God wants. No, but that's but, but the you're The saying that God is all-powerful doesn't necessarily mean that God would choose to use God's power in every instance. I mean, that's the whole point of free will. God says, I'm going to pull back and not exercise power in this realm where the human beings live so that they can be making choices. So it's like, I could prevent that eight-year-old boy from dying, but that's not the way the world works. But that's a whole, okay. This gets to the other thing of, do I want to worship a god? That could prevent an eight-year-old kid from dying of and cancer doesn't. and doesn't do it. But that's but well, it's, that's that that that. No, I hear what you're but saying, but that's the, the other side of that. that. The assumption that all powerful gods therefore will try and control every minutia of life. It's just it's it that one doesn't necessarily right. follow. So, from so the orthodoxy other. goes to Lori's point, which is God is all powerful and God does a voluntary act of tzimtzum mm-hmm. and contracts, contracts God's self to allow the universe to unfold in its ways, which include cancer and human beings getting that in their cells, mm-hmm. right? So that, and human beings toxifying the air and the water and the, everything else so that they also, right? So it's, it's a, I'm not saying it's all one or the other. So God does an act of tzimtzum to allow things to unfold. God is still all powerful and chooses to allow certain rules to be in place and so that gets for me to the heart of the question of progressive judaism which says how much do i really want to relate to a force that is all powerful and chooses to step back from the eight-year-old and let people start and so i you know so they're both they're both there they're both part of our tradition they're both dynamic and in relationship and on any given day is how comfortable I feel like with, with one or the other of those. And, and ultimately, we have to come to our own place of, okay, so this is, this is how I understand God's power in the world and what that means or what that doesn't mean. And, and going back to the point about dogma is, okay, so the good news is we don't have a lot of dogma about that, right? It's like, I mean, at least in our, in our world, in the Orthodox world, there may be more, but, but here we, we're like, okay, so it's tzimtzum, or it's God is predicate, you know, like, so I predicate about God that which is healing and good in the doctors, and the science and the minds mm-hmm. that do that, you know, and the rest is just biology. But, Amy, if, when you read this, both have to exist at the same time. Which? So, which two? Well, the, 
God's role in the universe, however you want to continue this discussion, but more importantly, how we as individuals play our role in God's world. So if there's global warming, then what are you going to do about it? Or, you know, you're going to use plastic bags at the market? Are you going to bring your pen? So we have a role. Amen. In Amen. So that's, that's, and so what you get to, I think, is the point of perspective. So are we focusing on the perspective of what God's role is? And that's where progressive Judaism, and actually in a lot of ways, Orthodox Judaism tends to say, not so important, really. What we do know about and can control, much as we want to, may want to engage with some fanciful thinking about that role of the realm of God, what, what we can control, what we do know about, is what we do. And what we need to be doing in light of whether it's all powerful or not, what is love and justice and compassion and all those things compel us in this moment to and, do. And in group two, it's how you live your life, no. that in the carrying of the plank, in how you engage and what people see you doing. Trusting that no matter what happens, we will figure it out how it is we're supposed to respond. I prepared for you notes on this so that it's kind of, I've summarized it for you. Thank you. Um, so that you can... I translated it for you. So you can clip it to this so that if you ever want to go back to it, the debrief is right there um, for you. Because it's kind of a lot. To, it's the Cliff Notes version. Um, so that you have it, if you want to just clip it to that other piece of paper, you will have it. Um, so this concludes our study for this year. Um, this is our siyum. This is our conclusion uh, of our study this year. Um, and so if there is interest in continuing after the Yamim Noraim, after the High Holy